Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to a super edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast where Axel Rose and Mama Rose team up to create the theatrical cinematic universe. And speaking of sinner, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined, as usual, by my trusty, metal-loving sidekick. And if walls could talk, his would yawn constantly. It's Evan, the boy wonder. Hey, how you going? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Dying in the heat? No, it's been pretty good. Been really busy, though. Non-stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. You know what, just before we get into it, I watched... Guess what? What? We have another marvellous diva in the studio today, and if his name is anything to go by, he's here to slay man because this trailblazing star has been spotted by hawk-eyed viewers regularly for the past 20 years once he fell on our radar as hader on the sixth day 24 which rendered this wonder visionary a titular person of interest to nearly every cop show on our tv black windows where he was criminally good in csi miami covert affairs ncis blue bloods the good wife jack ryan heck even veronica mars tried to lock him up and she would have succeeded too if not for that meddling beauty and her dumb beast where he was arresting as a cop for a change and yet in spite of all that he still found his voice in gaming with assassin's creed and diablo i i i so before we hulk out please help me astral project so this sir sees our huge aussie g'day then a you better work to this little beast from the middle east who detoured through the far canals of venice for today's chosen rapsicle only to wind up in the er oh shit wait that's not good but luckily he met nurse jackie and became fit for a king of the jews when this Dubai-born babe breathlessly bulged his biceps of biblical proportions for killing Jesus, well, to play Jesus Christ, which is also what viewers said when he took the tunic off. So before I blasphemize us all into cancellation, please help me welcome to the torture chamber this acclaimed visitor from The Visitor, which helped him drum up a celestial career that has since propelled him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with his groundbreaking role as house husband in 2021's <laughs> eternals so we're eternally grateful to be visited by the superb house slayman yay welcome to the torture chamber oh my god thank you so much this uh, can you send me a copy of that please? i can definitely it will take a while because it's handwritten and i'm lazy <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just take a picture and, and, and text it to me. It's so yep. fabulous and funny as hell. You Thank are you. really funny and talented, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. That's, um, God, can our guests out there, I'm inviting <laughs> you, talented people, and can you please stop complimenting me in such a way? Because then later I'm going to go and cry. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> uh, good. Touche, you just proved you just proved my point, but about about the fact that no wonder every guest comes and like sings your praises. Oh, oh I, I don't know. It's not about me though. It's really not about me. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Could have fooled me. I know we can spend a few seconds talking about you before we continue. It's okay. Jeez. Well, you hear that, Evan? It doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> Focus on me for a couple of minutes. <laughs> 
we, we do every you're meant week. to be my co-host and my trusty sidekick uh but yes no, I'm, I'm hey but don't forget about evan come on yes. evan also is in. yeah yeah he he also ran yeah. <laughs> yes. evan we love you evan oh, yes. thank you very much no he does he does a very good job there it's i think we're in his 21st episode so legally now oh. in America, you can drink. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, funnily yeah. enough, funnily, I've got a backup vodka oh, for later. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, it is four o'clock somewhere in the world that isn't Perth right now. Yeah. Because it's what, 10 a.m. or something. I'm not drinking it yet. Anyway. It's funny you said that because four o'clock is when I actually hit my joint. Well, okay, 420, fine. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, you're too gone from the last one that you forget when's 420. <laughs> you're right actually good point <laughs> yeah anyways we'll move on we've all been in quarantine obviously not so much evan because of where they are in the ass end of australia but if you were to quarantine with any marvel villain who would you quarantine with oh angelina jolie oh villain villain sorry she was not a villain. She's Cena. Cena. Ah, uh, she had her moments. She's an iconic badass goddess. No, 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 not Cena. Yes. Forget about that. Uh, villain. That's an interesting mm. question. Wow. Thank you. Um, hmm. Okay, let me just uh, for a second. Um, hmm. Damn. Damn, you got me. Um, wait. Um, mm, damn. Uh, uh, can I think about that? Yeah, you can think about that. <laughs> well, that's all right. We'll move on to metal then, and I'll give you another question for you to think about. If you were a rock star, what would be in your dream rider? What crazy stuff? I don't. I don't want no simple bottled water and parking. We've had those answers. We want crazy. <laughs> well, I've heard about the green M and Ms with J Lo and whatnot. I've heard about that, and Alan. DeGeneres, don't look her in the eye and blah, blah. For me, water, 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 water. Just but like the best, most expensive spring water. Oh, and 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 maybe maybe a, a case of really expensive bottles of wine. Yeah, cool. But it's still normal. <laughs> it's still normal. You, well, I mean, but you know, you're not you're not you're not supposed to have alcohol on set. Well, that's yeah, that's true. But you could still have a goat. People could still have a goat sitting in the corner that just sings to them all day or something. I don't know anything that's not parking or water or Oh, you know what? I I would love to have like a either an owl or a fox. That's better. Yes. Yes. Because then you can get that owl to send messages across the theater or across the, the studios for you. Exactly. And I can have yes. the box steal snacks from other actors' trailers. Yeah. yeah that's it. Yeah. And if there's a mouse in your dressing room, the owl's going to catch it, isn't it? So, or the fox. Yeah, that's no, probably smarter no. than a goat because there's no grass on the floor of a dressing room. Yeah, no. Unless you're at a music festival. Yeah, no, and goats tend to want to bump you in the, you know, in the groin somehow. Yeah, yeah. true. There's still, I do hope that someone requests that one day. Anyways, let's, <laughs> let's move on to the metal album because Evan, you chose the album this week. Now, before you explain why... Have you had any at all experience with heavy metal, new metal, glam metal? Um, 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 I'm a very, very weird person. Yeah. And uh, weird in every sense of the word. Like, uh, even in my taste of music, I love all kinds of music. But for the life of me, for the life of me, I always get confused by heavy metal, uh, metal, uh, like grunge, uh, uh, um, you know, alternative, like 
I mean, no, alternative, you can tell the difference. But you know what I mean? Like, um, like even Nirvana, it would be under what genre? Well, but technically, they grunge. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, that's the thing. Rock or pop rock or rock and heavy metal sometimes confuse. Yeah. Yes, can be. Sure. You should try doing this show, Haz, because I have no idea what's going on at all anymore with anything <laughs> what about lenny kravitz are you gonna go my way like what would that song be on the category what funk funk that'd be funk rock funk really yeah lenny kravitz i will die on this hill i don't know why i don't know why exactly we used to love covering that that's not funk he is funky Yes. He is funky. He is. He's a very funky man. He's funk rock. No, but that song specifically is my question. If I had to nail it down, I'd have to say hard rock. Funk rock. Okay, so what's the difference between hard rock and heavy metal? And what's funk rock? Uh, I think you just made (laughs) funk rock up. Stop judging me. (laughs) Difference between hard rock and metal. Oh, God, that's, that's the fine line that you've hit upon. Um, it's the gray area in the middle. Yeah, it's it's fuzzy, and it just I think it just comes down to the artist, and you have to sort of sit there and figure it out as you go along. Yeah, there's no set rule. Right. I mean, like smells like Teen Spirit. That would be hard rock. Oh, I suppose the official term is grunge, but yeah, you alternative metal. Oh, weren't they leaders of the grunge movement? Yes. Yes. Pretty much. Yes. I know that much. See, this is really interesting to me because it's a whole universe. Yeah, you emigrated in your twenties, so and you're my yeah. age, so you kind of just skipped in the nineties, didn't you? In in America, anyway. Well, really, like heavy metal for me was Metallica. You know, yeah. that was my introduction to. To, to heavy metal yeah and that was it uh, nirvana uh, of course who is not a big fan of i mean masterpieces they have created masterpiece of after masterpiece you know but in terms of heavy metal itself metallica was the only band that i used to be interested in and in following or just exploring but heavy metal in general i'm just a very sensitive creature that i um like sometimes sometimes like heavy metal how can i say doesn't gel with me so well but this is the beauty of music guys like i said yes to this uh, podcast show that you guys have because i love music so much and it's exactly for that reason because this is the beauty of it it. like there's so many different genres and so many different tastes everyone has different tastes there's no right or wrong you know Mm. that's it that's the beauty of it I don't know. Some of the music I've heard has been really wrong. Uh, what heavy metal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And even a couple of the musicals, but we won't go there. Sound of music. Oh, I mean, all I can say is Kendall Jenner and that commercial for Pepsi. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. Even then, that whole family. Please give us all a break. Can you just go away? <laughs> you don't have to be in the spotlight twenty four seven. There are talented artists out there. Who deserved that? Sorry. You're not going to get any plastic surgery? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm getting my nose done and my teeth done as soon as I can afford it. I tell you that. I will get plastic surgery. <laughs> you worry. So anyways, I'm going to quickly run through my review. This week, Evan chose a band called Cheval. So before we get on to his thoughts and um, his deep dive into why he chose that, I'm going to quickly run through my review. When I first saw the cover, I was hesitant. I didn't know Damien... Oh, wait, that's Chazelle. This is that Cheval Corby girl, which is a joke that only Aussies would get. 
So regrettably, I pressed play and clearly this is a band that only metalheads will get. No, I'm just being mean. Instantly, though, I was transported to the bronze where me and my friends used to hang out before we went on some serious vampire sledge. The emo is ripe in this one. Have they, like, tried being happy? Do they need a hug? (laughs) There's clearly some talent in this Osmond-inspired brotherly act (laughs) and some soaring, if a little bland, clean vocals. But overall, I'm reminded of that leap from the Scream 2 to the Scream 3 soundtracks, where the third album went down the emo alley and the rah-rah-rah avenue after two albums of indie and hard rock. So ultimately, this effort from the black-haired version of Hanson made me ready to leave a cinema, which I'm not actually in. That was until I remembered my film school education, where we were told to turn the sound down and watch a movie on silent. So that's what I did and sung along to the lyrics with my own tunes. And that was fabulous. Five stars to me. As for this album, I feel I've heard at least one song before. I don't know where, but if not, it's this whole album's vibe. Though I did enjoy the titular song. So two stars, one for each titular, as I felt that song was experimental and a sign of their potential of things to come. So I don't know. It just felt like a movie soundtrack. It really did. It felt like what they played at the end of Scream 3, which wasn't Red Right Hand by Nick Cave. Why are they fucking playing this music all of a sudden? Because those first two soundtracks of Scream 1 and Scream 2 were fantastic. If you can seek them out on, on, I don't think they're both on Spotify. What year would that be? 96 and 97. Yeah, we'll see. There's Chevelle's, you know, 95 when they were formed. So it's you're going, oh, it would suit a movie soundtrack of that era because they were of that era. But Scream 3 in 2000 was when they went down the real heavy route, which I thought was more akin to the other horror soundtracks we'd been getting at the time because I was collecting them. I was a film nerd. Uh, you, you can't have a decent horror film without a good heavy metal soundtrack. Well, you could. Scream and Scream 2. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's a killer Um, I Think I Love You by Less Than Jake, a punk cover of The Monkees on Scream 2. It plays during the credits of the film. Check that out. And Lucky Day in Hell, that's enough. a fantastic song. I think it's Cottonmouth Kings. They're indie rock. There were some fantastic songs on there that I listened to a hell of a lot. But then Scream 3 came about and I heard that soundtrack and I never wanted to spend my money on it. That's what this album <laughs> felt like. Okay. <laughs> An album you don't want to spend any money on. Fair enough. No. Because that's what you have to do. You know? Well, yeah, too. that's what fans did back before Spotify and Kazaa well, yeah. and LimeWire and Napster. And- that's true. Yeah. Everybody laughs at me. They're like, why are you buying the songs? You can just like, I'm like... Because I love music, I want to own them. Mm. Yeah, so uh, look, I, you know what? Just on that before, Evan, you got into your thoughts on horror movie soundtracks. There was you're gonna laugh, but the Jennifer Love Hewitt song "How Do I Deal" from the "I Still Know What You Did Last Summer" soundtrack. Right, a dickhead from my school. He paid like twelve dollars for that CD single. I paid twenty and got the whole album mm. from the movie, which had some awesome songs on it that weren't all rah 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 rah. I, and I said to him, why are you buying the single? There's two songs on it. So, and anyways, that's a useless story. That went nowhere. <laughs> Evan, take the mic. <laughs> Who gets the royalties is the question. Who gets the royalties, yeah. yes. Mm. I hope Jennifer loves Hewitt because I love her. Anyway, go. But anyway, this week I, I chose Chevelle, who were formed in 95, and this was purely um, I've finally got around to just listening to uh, metal radio stations and going, 
I really like that. And I'll jot down who they are. So that's basically how I picked it. It was just a random song on the radio. I went, that was awesome. I'll write down Chevelle. Um, yeah, it turns out they were formed in 95. They've pumped out 14 albums in, was it 26 years? Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even mention that they're brothers and that, that whole thing is a... Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, no, that, that's for Aaron's Far Too Single podcast, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's two, two brothers from, from Chicago, Illinois, Pete Loeffler and Sam Loeffler. And on this album, they had their other brother, Joe Loeffler, who was playing um, bass. And he's since left the band and apparently they don't, they don't get along. Well, they never really got along. Um, but for this album, it's, it's three brothers, um, which came out in 2002. And um, yeah, they often get, they're a funny one because they identify as Christian, but and they really hate it when people call them a Christian band because they're not. Oh, as, as all bloody Christian metal bands hate being called Christian. <laughs> Their first album did appear in like Christian bookshops for some reason. So forever being labelled as a Christian band and they, they hate that. Why? Why did they hate that? Well, they're not a Christian band. They just happen to be Christians. Oh. There's nothing in the lyrics about, well, you know, that sort of spirituality. They're not choosing a side with their music. But there are heavy metal yeah. bands that their content is Christian. Yes. Oh, wow. They'd be like singing about Jesus. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a great way to get promoted. And like, but like screaming, screaming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even way heavier, you know. Wow. The full on growling vocals, but they're growling about their love of Jesus. Yeah. I love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's no different from like going to a church, black church, and then, you know, like the gospel and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is a great way to get promotion and, and notice because, you know, you get Christian organizations behind them. Um, oh, wow. That kind of thing. That's good. You know, same, same with like Christian authors who, you know, there's Christian routes you can go to get published where the, right. the organizations will help get those books on the shelves. But I mean, wasn't heavy metal for a while associated with Satan or satanic things? Oh, yeah. That's old news, right? That's like way. Yeah. That's with anything different, you know, every. Yeah every decade where some new genre comes along and all the parents hate it and right. it must be demonic, you know, and it's corrupting our kids. And, right. You know, the Beatles got it, the Stones got it, you know, everyone got it at some point. Mm -hmm. And they're not even heavy metal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just anything new that's not what I listened to when I was a young boy, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, they, these guys, they often get compared to another band called Tool, uh, which are a very similar era, 90. One, I think they they came out trying to copy Tool, but and, and I can hear it in his voice here and there. Um, but I actually hear this is an Australian band called um, Birds of Tokyo. I heard a lot of Birds of Tokyo in this, especially with songs like The Red. Um, but no, they, I love these guys. They're really good. They are bloody good musicians. They work their asses off. They constantly tour. Um, I did get a chance to listen to the first couple of albums and their latest that couple of albums. And then I watched a couple of live gigs on YouTube. Um, they do vary a lot live. Um, like one show was really laid back. They must have just been exhausted. And then the next show was in the same year, in the same tour, um, was really high energy and loud and brutal. So they, they vary a lot you know, depending on the day, which is, I guess, not the greatest thing. <laughs> they should try doing eight shows a week. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I, I do dig that, that sort of angry vulnerability in his voice. Um, 
it just i don't know sometimes it just gets you they get the right key changes and i don't know it just um it, it appeals to the angry young men what well, used to certainly in the 90s when we're, we were just looking for something to rebel against something to yell at this is a yeah great soundtrack yeah. for that it's called puberty evan well it's also <laughs> it's also deep what you're talking about it's very deep hmm. yeah well i mean you, you you were saying before like the appeal of of metal and you know sometimes young men just want to yell at something you know and if it's a band great you know and if it's in a crowd of other people yelling at something, even better. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's human, right? And so uh, it's nice to hear that heavy metal also does that for people. It's like an outlet or like a release somehow, mm-hmm. you know, expressing something inside of you that needs to be out. And with that music, it helps you actually do that. And heavy metal does that as well, which makes sense. Of course, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah it invokes an emotional response. Yeah, I mean, I know Alanis Morissette is not heavy metal, but like you guys, know about Alanis Morissette she's an icon and she's incredible and uh, I don't know if you guys seen her documentary on HBO Max it's really good and again not unlike what you guys are talking about like nobody understood her and and she, you know she they didn't know how to put it what category she is uh, uh, but then once she actually let go of all of that and then made Jagged Pill like that album the iconic album uh, you can also see that what you're talking about. It's not heavy metal, but it's that anger. It's that frustration coming out of her. Mm. And it's so cathartic and really relatable. And it really almost therapeutic. Totally agree. No, it's a, been a running theme that it's been cathartic um, or it must be cathartic. So I, I personally prefer to put on Madonna and dance, but apparently some people do like to, to scream. She's my icon, Madonna. So. <laughs> She's my she's my baby. But um, but yeah, these guys they, you know, they've all got families now, and they're all you know my age. They're all forty five, um, forty five, forty six. I think it's their ages. So they've got kids and families, and but you know, this is just that it's their job. They they tour and put out albums, and they're you know, there's no crazy uh, trashing hotel room stories or all that kind of thing. The only the only bit of story I could find on them it was in about two thousand and seven in Texas. Someone stole their um their trailer of all their gear like everything went oh, which is devastating for a band um when all your equipment you know, you're probably 50 80 grand's worth of stuff in there Bugger. and all they got back out of the 14 guitars that they lost they only got two of them back it's just just blows you know it's a, but how did they even get those two back like that's crazy they just put the word out of you know if you see you know they have photos of all their guitars you know, have photos of all their gear. Like if you see this in a, a shop somewhere, some guy did buy it, you know, on Craigslist or something and, and recognized oh. the guitar and he contacted the band and they got it back, oh, you know, wow. but that, that was it. So they lost wow. everything, you know, drum kits, PAs, the lot, which just sucks. Um, yeah. And yeah. And the only other thing I was, I was watching an interview with, I think it was Pete and they're talking about, you know, COVID and not being able to play and trying to record music videos and they've got all these ideas and none of them can happen because there's supply chain issues and they just can't get the gear they need but yeah he was complaining that they out of 14 albums they've not made a cent out of any album they make their money from touring and merchandise and now they can't tour you know well last year they couldn't tour so yeah it's it was a nice little insight of just you know you can work and work and work and work and put this back catalog out and people think that they're you know making a pretty penny off the residuals and they're sitting there going, we've not made a cent out of any album, you know, and we've done 14 of them. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. It's just 
God, why why are we bothering fighting for Broadway performers then if they're not even fucking earning their revenue from streaming and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were they were shopping around for another record label uh, recently, and and then the other issue was all the stuff that was on the old label. It, it they own that back catalogue for about twenty five years, um, so you can't even sort of port it over and start monetizing. Yeah, they'd have to go down the Taylor Swift route of bloody re recording it all. Yeah, that is genius, by the way. That is absolutely genius what she's doing. What happened with Prince, though? Wasn't Prince dealing with Warner Brothers as well? And he asked Madonna's uh, help on that? And I I don't know if it got resolved. He was stuck in a contract that he was not a fan of. I'm not sure the actual ins and outs of what the problem with the contract was, but he was stuck in a contract. You know, he had to deliver so many albums. Yeah. That's right. He had to deliver so many albums in so many years. Um, And, of course, at this point, he's he's Prince. He can do whatever the hell he wants, when he wants. Absolutely. And in order to get out of the contract, he changed his name. FCAP. So the contract was no longer with whatever his original, you know, with Prince or whatever his original name is. He changed it to a, a symbol. So they had to draw up new contracts with him negotiating. It wasn't FCAP first. Sorry? It was the FCAP. The symbol. The artist formerly known as Prince. And then it was symbol. Yeah. Yeah, the symbol is like male, female, right? Male, female. Yeah. Whereas Taylor Swift has gone the other route of in order to get yeah in order to get control of her own material she's just re-recording it all and gone now this is all mine i own it yeah anyone who listens to those originals is probably a douchebag <laughs> they're kind of defeating the purpose of her doing that right right support the artists people anyways it looks like the brothers have grown apart <laughs> we're going to shovel off to an ad break <laughs> oh, oh shut up Coming this summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Ellis, Darren Day, Louise Demon, and Oliver Saville, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. Watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theater charities, acting for others, and the theater's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. You're listening to Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by the eternally awesome Haas Slayman. And you are, I think, our third, I'm just looking at Alicia, third MCU representation. We've had Michael Cerverus, who had zero lines in Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> We've had David Zippel, who wrote the lyrics for the Captain America theme song. Oh, okay. And we have had 
Oh, Kirk Thatcher, who had no lines in Spider-Man Homecoming. True. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and a couple of days ago, we had Amali Golden, who had no lines in Thor Ragnarok. So you are our first <laughs> yes. speaking part for the MCU. Because <laughs> somehow that yes. worked out like that. It, it was purely by accident that the other people just haven't been heard. Uh, uh, not to sound shady, but yay. <laughs> <laughs> you know so you are definitely a trailblazer there no i mean it's it's not it's i mean not that not look i mean uh, it's not like oh because they didn't have lines it's not a big deal of course it is but no i'm excited for them yeah yeah of course uh but i'm uh, thank you for thinking of me and for inviting me um i'm still sort of like uh, how can i say it's been a very interesting experience, like for me, being part of the Marvel Universe because of the nature of the part that I played. And it is really history in the making, all of that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the receiving end of a lot of love and a lot of hate. <clears throat> and I've been getting a lot of messages from uh, fans across the globe, uh, uh, people reaching out to me and telling me I was standing on a bridge and I was about to jump and then somebody intervened and then uh, many, many messages of fans that wanted, are suicidal, have been suicidal. And then I, um, then I tell them, well, look, I was once suicidal myself. So how about we make a pact? Like if I don't kill myself, you don't kill yourself. And so they, 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 and actually they're moved by it and there's always in touch with me. And so it's kind of like, it's so powerful, the, uh, the power of movie and film it's so powerful and it saves lives. I think what Eternals is doing is saving lives right now. Truly, because I've been getting so many messages about that to be seen, to be validated. But on top of that, don't forget, I mean, you saw the Eternals, right? Yeah. Yes. yes I've seen it a couple of times now. Right. So I did speak a line in Arabic. So that was my idea. And uh, thank, thanks to close out. So then the, the world became bigger than just queer. It became about also Arabs feeling validated. Like, just think about what I'm saying. Like Marvel and Disney and movies in general have the power to validate a people, have the power to give them worth, <laughs> to make them feel that they're significant. It's the most ridiculous thing, yet the most incredible thing, you know? My representation was Frankenfurter running around in stilettos and a corset and fishnets. And of course I emulated that. Yeah. So, and I have no regrets, obviously. Right, right. It got me in a lot of trouble at school doing the same sort of thing. Because uh, there really wasn't like Philadelphia came out. Well, how old was I? Maybe six or seven. And, you know, there was obviously the AIDS scare and, and all that. So yeah. in the schoolyard, that was the sort of thing that people were throwing around. Or, you know, kids were throwing around like, well, you're going to get AIDS and stuff like that. Or mm. because people didn't understand. Well, even even Brokeback Mountain, like, it was like, oh, if you're gay, you're going to suffer. And then this is what's going to happen. I still haven't seen that because I've been single since it came out. <laughs> Anyways, we're gonna move on. That's not even a joke, people. That is very, very sad and pathetic. I'm still single too, <laughs> yeah. and that is sad and pathetic too on my end. So trust me. So you're not alone. Yeah, no, you're I, not I, alone. I definitely know I'm not alone there. Uh, but we're gonna move on to the musical because this week we're gonna do a new one that was well, nearly ten years old now. It was written, I think, 2009 or so. It's pre Hamilton, which I appreciated. Oh. Is it? Yes. There goes that review. Oh, you have insulted this show 
claiming that at, at riding off Hamilton's back, have you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it crossed my mind, yeah. <laughs> Pre-Hamilton, I forgot to even check. I just assumed it wasn't. Oh, <laughs> I got, carry on. Holly, if you hear me, was also a couple of years afterwards. But anyways, it's called Venice. And this was done at the public theatre, or theatre, as we call it on this show, <laughs> since it's spelt that way. Um, and it's not one that I was familiar with, which was when I noticed that you were in it, that's why I thought, well, we'll go with this one because then I get to learn about something. And I haven't written a review, so don't worry. But Evan has. Oh, well. Ooh, yikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, this is, yeah, it's not normally my thing, obviously. I you know, don't normally listen to musicals by choice. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to be honest and blunt. Please be the very first listen. I instantly hated it. I just went, oh my god! I yeah, and I was really struggling with it. You know, no, knowing you're in it and and having to go look. I I really disliked this. So um, I listen. I've listened to it four times now. I gave it three more listens. Oh wow! Yeah, started figuring out why I didn't like it, and then mm. what I did like about it. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was mainly the um the rapping narrator. Mm. I don't think it needed to be there because without the rapping narrator, yeah, there's some really solid songs in there. There are. That's actually a very good point. I think that was the only thing that that's what set me off. And then, you know, when you decide you don't like something and then you're just constantly finding more things you didn't like about it. And I had to break out of that mindset and listen to it again and again, again, to find the good. The female voices, the opening track citizens are just huge. When you sit there and pick out all the voices, everyone is a phenomenal singer. If only, and I don't know who sung it because the details are all sketchy of who sung what song. Perfectly fine on Spotify. Thank you very much. What are you talking about? Are they? Oh, for God's sake. Well, If Only is a, is a brilliant song. I love that. Jennifer Damiano. Jennifer Damiano and Venice Company. So Jennifer Damiano. And she's, yeah. by the way, Jennifer Damiano is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. That was the voice that really stood out. She has a voice like uh, unbelievable. And Uzu Adubo, she's got an incredible. Leslie Autumn Jr. has an incredible voice. Mm. And Leslie Autumn Jr. Hamilton, he has an incredible voice. I used to always be bitter when I was around him. I'm like, I hate you. Because he would smoke, go out and smoke a cigarette on the break and go back in and sound sound like a songbird. Oh, yeah, they make you sick, don't they? You're like, yeah, I'm like, fuck you, fuck you. And here I am, like, gargling with salt water. I'm, like, trying to breathe in steam and whatnot and trying to make my voice sound good. And he's like, <laughs> and just goes in and sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah, but you're talking about Matt Sachs. Matt Sachs, he had written the musical and whatnot. So, and he was the one who was rapping it. I actually never thought of it before, but now that you said that, I actually agree with you. I do. Yeah, I'd, I'd like the songs to tell the story and not someone just lay it out. Narration should be peppered. Yeah. Yeah, well, it kind of was, but, you know, in the show, maybe, not in the songs. Well, I mean, did it need to be narrated? The story should be doing that on its own. Mm. A good, strong, powerful story doesn't need to be narrated, number one. Especially, in, look, I know it's also style and taste and storytelling and whatnot, yeah. but I've never done a musical before. This was my first musical. Mm-hmm. All of them have. All of the other actors, Leslie Odom Jr., Uzo Adubo, they were part of Venice, by the way, before me, when it was first put up. Yeah, so I came in later, years later. And then Jennifer Damiano, she is 
you know, she's a seasoned musical diva. They're all seasoned at this. They all know what they're doing. So I didn't. So basically, slowly I realized, oh, I am fucked. Because they were constantly working with Matt to make sure that the songs that they're going to be singing fit their vocal voices perfectly and bring out the best and the qualities, the good qualities in their voices and their abilities as singers. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. None of them told me that. So I was just like left in the dark trying to like, oh, no, it's fine. I'll do it. It's fine. I'll do it. Had I known that that is the way to do a musical, oh, this would have been a different experience for me. The songs that I would have sung, I would have told Matt, no, I need songs that way, more, less staccato and more that I can be soulful because this is the kind of singer I am. But I didn't, I didn't have experience in that. Now I do. So if I ever end up in another musical, I know what to do. Or even like, uh, I don't know. Did you guys see West Side Story? Steven Spielberg's take on West Side Story? No, I haven't yet. No, I'm not leaving my house if I don't have to. (laughs) It's long. Yeah, I can imagine. I wasn't a fan of it to begin with, to be honest. Oh, really? I mean, I love the music. Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit slow for me. You, you don't like, I want to be in America, everything's free in America, life is so free in America, yeah. or like Puerto Rico, you ugly island. I mean, th- those are like really... <laughs> yeah the problem i had with it was that they didn't die at the end they both should have died romeo and juliet are meant to die yes and that just pissed me off that's actually yeah yes i'm like no you lost me now (laughs) but then that would have been romeo and juliet though you know what i mean like so they have to be a little bit different that's what it was that's what it was based off was romeo and juliet yes it's the whole balcony scene and everything true so true but then but then like they want to try to be a little different and not completely the same you well, know then they should have killed everyone then not not <laughs> like <laughs> yeah I agree not give you. us a happy ending or half a happy ending it's either all or nothing anyways i agree with you anyway sorry that's that's me being an old curmudgeon <laughs> sorry evan <laughs> you were yeah like i said it was just the uh, the narration and and of course i thought that this was coming on the back of Hamilton as well. So I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I wish you had have gone in your own direction and, and it's the other way around. Wow. Yeah. Don't you feel like a fool? Yeah, I do. I do feel like a fool. Can I just say on that, when I first heard Hamilton and every time since and watching it, I really don't like the songs. The rapping is great. The songs in it, they're not something I want to put on as a standalone song but the songs in this was in the non-rap songs i thought sounded good but i am a little bitter that this one didn't at least get another chance or another development workshop or a lab Ugh. yeah the songs i found i was listening to more and more and liking more and more of the female ballads or the more heartfelt songs they were really good and that every time i listened to it it was like oh she is so fantastic yeah, yeah whoever that is and is it uh, i don't know how you pronounce her name Uzo. Uzo Adubo. Yeah. Oh, she's she's phenomenal as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's in Orange is the New Black and she was in Snatch Game. Well, she's also in, uh, oh gosh, the HBO Max. Uh, uh. In Treatment. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah, I could only find a, a, a few clips and not much of a synopsis of, of the story. Synopsis. 
That's synopsis. We went through this synopsis, last time. Whatever. Synapsis is to do with biology or something. Yep. Oh, yeah. Synapses are in my head. I did look it up. It's something to do like the fusion of blood cells or something like that. Like it's something really different. No. Anyways. It's like the <laughs> communication between cells in your brain. Anyway. That's it. Yeah. So synopsis. The staging. Was was it? It was a, st- a set of stairs the whole time. Yeah. Back to the, the topic we meant to. Because I could only see clips. So I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean. What goes on beginning middle to end i mean yes there were steps stairs there was like two levels to it and uh it's almost it's a it's very political let's say it's like in a in a fictitious place country land city whatnot dystopian dictatorship yes right and i portrayed venice and uh, he is biracial so me and leslie autumn jr are half brothers and our mother is uzo aduba and uh, jennifer damiano was my love interest in it and basically my character was like a rebellious uh, heroic figure inspiring the people uh, who are struggling and to to free them from the corruption and you know it's like basically not unlike, not unlike what's happening really here now in this country uh, in america with trump and whatnot because we're still fucking talking he's he's gonna run again in 2024 guys so anyway yeah. The saddest thing is that the lies are spreading around oh. so easily and people believe the lies more than the truth. And that's really scary. And then they you know? and then they lie on top of that lie. And once you get three or four lies deep, you've forgotten that the first one was still a lie. Right. But the, the thing is, though, I think the lies are more interesting to people than the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> Just on uh, back on Venice, it's based off Othello. Evan, have you did you ever read that at school? Right. No, we did um, Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet was the two. But we spent like half the year on each one. Yeah. Which was really nice way of doing it. But no, those were the two I did in the one decent English class I had in high school. Ah, no wonder you like the Lion King then. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But yeah, we went in depth, line by line of Hamlet was great. We did it in, I think, year eight. What was on Apple TV Plus right now with Denzel Washington? Oh, um, Macbeth, is it? Oh, yes. Uh, Macbeth, Macbeth, yes. Macbeth with Francis McDormand, yeah. But that's not a musical. But but it's still Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about Shakespeare. Do you guys see Tick, Tick? Is it Tick, Tick, Boom? Yes. Right. What did you guys think of that? Loved it. Loved it too. He hasn't said it yet. On Venice, I, I really did enjoy this. And I thought Hamilton is probably a more interesting idea. But I think... Well, it's also based on American history. Yeah, too. but that that whole, the way they've done it, I think is more of an interesting thing, whereas hearing that there's a lot of multimedia and video or, or whatnot used in Venice, that is something that I go on about. Like, I'm paying to go to a theatre, not a cinema, so I hate seeing screens on a, on a stage. And scaffolding. Don't get me started on scaffolding. We didn't have screens. We had scaffolding. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. We had scaffolding. And I, and I was literally climbing. Stomping? Stomp, stomp, stomping? No, I mean, just climbing up. Literally climbing up like, like I'm about to do construction work or something. It was really more simplistic than you guys think it was. Uh, the Venice uh, stage and whatnot. Yeah. And it was just simply having you know, a, a top level, um, another level up, just to give you the sort of like, if I'm giving a speech to the people, to the public, 
just to give you that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting something more modern, um, but maybe with projections or something, because that's sort of. Uh, no, they didn't really actually have. Any. Oh, really? No. Oh, good. Uh, they, it's obviously the lighting, the lighting was a part of it, but just like any other production, because that's yeah. a, you know. But uh, basically, let's put it this way I was in a musical opposite Jennifer Damiano, Uzo Aduba. Uh, Leslie Autumn Jr. I mean, these are incredible singers. Yeah. Mm. So I I didn't even know how I did. Just happy to be there. Because every time <laughs> I went there, I was like, why am I here? <laughs> you know, because yeah. they're just incredible. Your dashing good looks got you in the door. Uh, you, you know, I could sing, but when I started to sing next to them, yeah, I was like, yeah, uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> you know, because then you sit like when you sing next to someone who's really brilliant, then you start to. I mean, it's not comparing, but you kind of start to see your limitations as a vocalist. Yeah. But the good news is I'm glad that one of you liked it. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. What, what did you give it, Evan? Knowing now that it wasn't oh, no, yeah. writing off Hamilton's back. It wasn't anything to do with Hamilton or influence no, by in any all. way. Yeah. That's that's great. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that does yeah. That does change things. I'd have to, I think, listen again now and, and appreciate that it wasn't. Well, do you want to God. come back to your score and add it in? Oh, yeah, I'll go I'll go down the middle. I'll go two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. Yeah, I think you're being a bit rough, but all right. Can <laughs> these guests on for you and to insult them? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I look, I gave it every chance. I, I yeah. listened to it, yeah. you know, four times over the last week. I think Venice um, is a musical that you either love it or you don't. I'm talking on behalf of the yeah, people yeah. that have come to the From, public theater yeah, yeah. in New York. And so there's always been either this or that. Like yeah. some are in the middle, but a lot of them either love it. Like I'm talking about love it, like obsessively, like how Marvel fans are. And then there are those who are like, what the hell is that? You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, yeah, yeah. But also, like, let's keep in mind, musicals is not everyone's cup of tea. No. Or they're yeah. not everyone's cup of tea, even not mine. And that's what you want art to do. You want art to, you want people to have a decision about it. Yeah. You know, because if they're going to spend too long thinking about it and not make a decision, they're going to move on to something else. Right. So you, you want to evoke an emotion, a reaction out of people because indifference doesn't help anybody at the end of the day. But anyways... Look, I think Venice is a brilliant musical in terms of its content and what it was trying to do. Yeah. But musically and uh, how they did it musically and like, as you said, the, the narration of maybe was not the best way to go about it. Mm. But as a musical itself and, and what it's, it's trying to say was brilliant. And, and, and for me, I wish like you that it went further. Of course, many people wished it went further, but it didn't. And, um, you know, that's part of the game, too. It is, sadly. Yeah, well, that, that is one I've, I've mentioned many times with, with musicals, just in general. You can have these, these wonderful musicals with just amazing music and amazing performances, and they do their runs, and then they've just gone. And, you know, yeah. there's just, there's no way of seeing them again or, you know, pr preserving them. If they didn't tape them at the time, that's it. They've just lost to yeah. history. You know, and then it's up to another cast to to do it again, which will never be the same because it's a whole other cast. Right. Yeah. I mean, have, have you guys seen The Visitor at all? The movie I was in with uh, Richard Jenkins. I, yeah, I saw it when it first came out on DVD. Richard Jenkins, and you were the your drummer, yeah. Yes. And because um, I, I didn't get to 
watch it um, in preparation for the interview, but I, I did years ago. So they made it into a musical? Yes, they did. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I had workshopped it with the one and only Mandy Patinkin. Oh, he, what a legend. Yeah. In the role of Walter Vale, Richard Jacobs' yep. role. And I workshopped it for two weeks with him. Yeah. And Tom McCarthy came at the end and we performed it in front of Tom McCarthy, Jonathan King, uh, Michael London, mm-hmm. uh, one of the producers of The Visitor. And I'll never forget, Tom McCarthy was like, I was so nervous for you, Haas. Because, you know, in movies, you shoot, you edit, you cut, whatever, you can make it look good. Yeah. But live, you got a drum. You got to fucking do it. You can't yeah. fucking cheat. <laughs> so he was, like, so nervous for me. But he was like, dude, you fucking killed it. But here's what I got to say, man. Like, Mandy Patinkin, just two weeks workshopping that musical with him was one of the best highlights of my life. I would have continued on to Broadway to do it on Broadway, but... I, he didn't end up doing it and I didn't want to do it without him. Mm. Yeah, because he, I'm telling you, man, you saw The Visitor, you saw Richard Jenkins' performance. If yeah. you saw Mandy Patinkin, what he did with that part, dude. And singing at that, yeah. I don't know if you have hair on your shoulders or back or whatnot. All of it would have just stood up. <laughs> stood up like that. Like, he was an animal. Like, think of it this way. You know, when you're so free and you don't give a fuck and you're just like, uh, like an animal and you're like almost like a tribal person and just free and almost naked. Like Mandy Patinkin. Yes. But then for him to do that for a character like that in a story like The Visitor, and he is the reserved one. He is the one who is sleepwalking in his life. And yet goes there. I'm looking at that motherfucker and I'm thinking, and I fucking went for it. I went for it. I was just crazy as he was even more. And so I, I went, I went up to him, told him, like, you are amazing. He's like, you are amazing. I said, Mandy, the only reason why you're saying that is because I was watching you and you are the reason why I did what I just did. He, he is really phenomenal. Yeah. yeah I, I get the impression he's the kind of actor who, who just kind of lifts everyone around him you know, up to. Without really, without doing it on purpose, by the way. Yeah. Uh, no, he's actually, you want me to spill some tea? So we're like in the yep. middle of the workshop and, you know, it's Mandy Patinkin. So every time he has an issue, he's not getting a line. God, stop. I don't get this. I cannot act if I don't understand what I'm saying. So when he said that, I was like, I perked up. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And then the director is rolling his eyes. <laughs> and everyone <laughs> was like upset with him because there was like, let's move on. He would not give a fuck he was like i'm not continuing until you explain to me this fucking moment mm. and i like have so much respect for him yeah find the truth in the performance well yeah i mean if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about mm. that's why he's he's an icon you know yeah separates the superstars from yeah i've, I've certainly loved anything i saw uh mandy do yeah sunday in the park with george yeah, the Sunday in the Park, no, TV. Um, there was a show called Reaper where he was like the head Grim Reaper who hands out the jobs to all the other Grim Reapers for the day. Oh. And he was brilliant in that. He's so good. No, that was Dead Like Me. Dead Like Me. Reaper was Sam. Oh, Reaper was a comedy. Yes. Dead Like Me. I love Dead Like Me. Yeah, it was it was Sam who whose father was the devil and so he had to collect up the lost souls who were on Earth. Anyways, before we get sidetracked, we're going to throw it on that break. We'll be back in a moment with Haas Slayman. 
G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. How can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. 
grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I wasn't watching The Visitor last couple of days. I watched Killing Jesus. You watched or you didn't watch? I watched it. Watched it. You watched yeah. the whole thing or? The whole thing, yeah. Thank God, because the first half I'm not proud of, but the second half I'm proud of. Yeah, I was doing a bit of research and, you know, I hit upon this video of because, you know, it copped a bit of criticism at the time, obviously. And there was uh, these two guys who I, I usually don't mind on YouTube called the Young Turks, who are sort of democratic uh, political commentators. And they're both sitting there, you know, tearing it to shreds. And then simultaneously both went, did you see it? No, I haven't seen it either. Like, how can you, how dare you tear something down you haven't seen? Yeah. Uh, sounds like the Republicans. Yeah, but they're Democrats. That's the but, thing. Yeah. Well, oh, oh, by the way, by the way, thank you for saying that. Because what well, I don't even think that Democrats are better, actually. I don't. <laughs> no, this is why I'm the middle <laughs> finger to both halves. No. Honestly, yeah. That's why I'm not yeah, left, I'm not right. I'm just like, fuck his both. Seriously. Why isn't Trump in prison? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he's an ex-president. January 6th insurrection. Come on, guy. I mean, it's 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 a joke. Is it corrupt there too? Uh, no, not nothing like no. Trump is is a localized dumpster fire just to the US. I mean, you've got your Bolsonaro's and you know Rodrigo Duterte's out there. There are, you know, some horrible, horrible leaders out there. Trump wants to be there. Yeah, oh, Trump would love to be Duterte. Well, I mean, he's so fond of Putin, so. Uh, but Australia has a special place in my heart because of yeah. Kylie Minogue. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. And not only that, but the Eternals did actually visit Australia. So it was nice to see that Australia exists in the Marvel Universe. Kevin Feige, thank you very much. <laughs> Hello. You <laughs> do exist. Wait, what do you, you mean? can film here, but we can't be featured. Like, there is no Australian superhero i mean this chris hemsworth obviously plays thor but he's not based in australia is he there's no australian superhero but there's everyone else and notice sorry just on the eternals now these characters they were invented before humanity and yet they all happen to encompass all these different nationalities of earth which didn't come about until thousands and thousands of years (laughs) after the eternals got here not only that but where's the australian Um... where is the australian There was no Antipodean, there was no Kiwi, there was no Australian. We do exist on this Earth Eternals. Thank you very much. It was already a pretty big team, though. So that's one mistake I found. The other stupid mistake that drove me nuts, because obviously, like, I I can buy into a film with monsters and stuff like that, but as soon as there's something like Shang-Chi where Aquafina shot the, the bow and arrow miles up in the air, I'm like, that that's bullshit. That's taken me right out of the film. Now, the sign language for time is to point at a watch on the hand, but that was in Mesopotamia before wristwatches were invented. So why is why didn't they invent a new sign language term for time? That's what I would like to know. So those those are the only two things. That, like, that's the only thing I can pick on. Um, I have a feeling you're an overthinker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eat your popcorn, enjoy the explosions, and shut up. Jesus. Next, no, next time I would say I recommend Papa Xanax before you go see a Marvel film. <laughs> mm. No, because I, I could buy into the silliness, but then there'll always be just something that, like, it's like Star Wars, right? People call Star Wars futuristic, but it's not. 
that was a long time ago, right? So all those human characters, they're the ones that are going to come to Earth and colonise us. But when people turn around and say it's the other way around or, you know, that humans went up to space, no, it's the other way around. That's a long time ago. Yeah, but don't forget that Star Wars also, it's not humans. It's also animals that are more advanced than the animals that are on our planet that almost well, like... Han Solo. Yeah, well, no, I'm talking about like those creatures... Yeah, talking like different creatures, Ewoks, Wookiees, yeah, yeah, like different different types of uh, beings Hmm. other than humans. Yeah, but how do they all speak English? That's what I'd like to know (laughs) because England wasn't invented then. (laughs) Oh god, that's that's Hollywood, baby. That is Hollywood. Have you guys not been watching the book of Boba Fett? (laughs) No, not yet. I have been actually, and and you know what? That is a sixty-year-old. Kiwi man, a, a Maori, oh. leading a Star Wars show. And yet I haven't seen anybody congratulate that representation. And I think that's really fantastic that... That's fantastic. He's at, at 60 years old from New Zealand. He is leading a Star Wars show. Absolutely. And Ming-Na Wen as his sidekick. But why wasn't he a 60-year-old Kiwi woman? And, for instance, the Eternals. Why in the Eternals didn't they have that big, humongous, I guess he is God, whatever, you know, the red. Arashem, yeah. Yeah. Why was he male? Why wasn't he Uh, (laughs) non-binary? Yeah. Good point. That bothered, that bothered me. But aside from any of the... Yeah, see, now you know how I feel. (laughs) Look, I'm just, look, look, I'm just, I'm, I just, I'm in love with Chloe Zhao and I'm grateful that she allowed me to speak my Arabic line in the film because they could have easily cast an Israeli actor to play my part, but they cast me and I was like, I'm speaking Arabic in this motherfucking film. And that made a big deal, actually. A lot of people in the Arab world like would be crying, they would be shocked, and they start laughing, and then start crying. This is the power of feeling represented and being seen in film mm. and television. It's Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, but it's also kind of like ridiculous. Really? Now we get validated by being represented in some, but that's the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because in the past two weeks, Kelly Clarkson's breakaway has been going through my mind, just stuck <laughs> in there as an earworm. And so when I watched this episode last night and suddenly breakaway starts playing, I'm like, that's why it's been playing in my head. Um, but also that you had, there was Chi-Chi Devane was in it from Drag Race, who we lost a year and a half ago. May she and, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah she oh, I did not know that. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Just a beautiful soul, really did. So I bawled my eyes out during that episode. Obviously, this story was... Yeah, no, no, no. Don't worry. You don't have to compliment me just because you said that. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Now, um, just on this, I presume you watch Drag Race. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. I've been watching Drag Race from season one. Yeah, awesome. Okay, now... I've seen all of them, even the all-stars, all of them. Oh, no. Even the British ones, even the Spanish one, the Italian one. I mean, Jesus Christ, the Canadian one. It's a lot. <laughs> yep, it is. And I'm not complaining at all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, look at him. Bloody straight man. <laughs> no, I got nothing against the show. It's 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 Aaron is me just watches it religiously. Well, I don't get time to watch much. Every kind from every corner of the world. Me too. He's watched all of them. Yes, good, good on him. Great minds think alike. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now Jeff Goldblum was on. Yes, the show. Jeff Goldblum was. Jeff yeah. Goldblum. Was, look over there. 
look over there. <laughs> now, when Jeff Goldblum was on the show, he caused a bit of a stir online with the the comments about Jackie Cox wearing the Iranian flag. Uh, huh. But yeah, I missed um, that because I don't follow all of that. But go, go ahead. Yeah, during during the judgments, I, I should have written it down, but he sort of commented that in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, it is illegal to be gay or whatnot. And yeah. he sort of just he bought he didn't bring it up to rub that in or anything like that. He I think he was highlighting it to highlight what Jackie Cox was doing by wearing that flag, in terms of the meaning behind it. Do you remember what he said or you said no? I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was... Okay, okay, okay. It was definitely in support of Jackie and it was... Um, so why did he get a backlash? Because he was pointing out the homophobia in Middle Eastern countries. Oh. And so the left wing saw that as him being racist, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he's not lying. No. This is what my question is. Eternals, along with many other things, has been banned from certain countries. Was he misguided? Because I'm white. I can have my opinion on it. Evan can have his opinion. All those people complaining can have their opinions on it, but we don't come from those countries. We haven't lived in that culture. It's not up to us to decide whether or not something is or not. Was he misguided or was the backlash misguided is my question. Of course, the backlash was misguided. He was yeah. not misguided. I think he probably could have been more thoughtful about how he addressed it. Yeah, That's how I would say it. I think you need to be careful. Whenever you're talking about Black people in, this, in America, you have to be careful how you address it. Not unlike with trans people, not unlike with certain kinds of people. And I think similarly with this subject matter and the Middle East and how queer people are in the Middle East, because not all Middle Eastern countries are the same. No. Not all Arabs are the same. Not all Muslims are the same. So that's just universal. Yeah. So I think I definitely have nothing against Goldblum. I I'm, I love him. I think he's amazing. Mm. Um, and um, I, and I know what he his intention was behind it. But all I would say uh, regarding his approach is to just maybe be even more clear and specific and clear about what he means. Otherwise, it would be misunderstood, misinterpreted, changed up, used against him. Context does not matter. Right. And then, But on the other side, with the people that criticize him, I mean, they know better because, like you said, the Eternals was banned in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman. And in other Arab countries like UAE, even Lebanon, where I'm from, because Lebanon is a small country. Basically, other bigger Arab countries decide the censorships that need to happen in Lebanon and not Lebanon itself. So they took out the gay kiss. See, this is another big deal. Having a gay kiss in a Marvel film is beyond mm. unbelievable. Like, this is something that I never thought this is something that Chloe Zhao never thought would happen. So I'll never forget it. We were on the set. We're about to like shoot the kissing scene. So she comes up to me and Brian. She's like, okay, how's Brian? Just kiss for a couple of beats and then Haas pull away from him because I will make sure that Marvel nor Disney will have a chance to cut out the kiss scene. And she succeeded now, but she wasn't able to succeed and them cutting it out of some Arab countries because those Arab countries that cut out that kissing scene also cut out, well, not in Lebanon, though. Uh, in, in other countries, they cut out the other heterosexual kissing scenes, actually, like in Emirates, United Arab Emirates, Dubai, whatnot. But um, yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> I think at the end of the day, people need to research better before they start backlash. I was actually more annoyed that it took this long. Man, let me tell you, it's, it's you know, look, the best part of, of what I did in the journals for me is I've been getting a lot of love from straight people, straight Arab, like heterosexuals. That's where I think it means more and, and why yeah. to, to me being a gay man, it doesn't have that impact because I've come through that. I don't have that mindset that this is wrong. Whereas if someone was to come from a culture or a country or even just parentage that their parents didn't believe in it, but they are able to change their mind and say, okay, well, maybe the gays aren't that bad. That to me is the validation we need. That to me makes more of an impact in, in my opinion. From, from my experience. It sounds like you have amazing parents. No, no, my parents are homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> really? They don't like seeing gay, uh, gay people kiss. Oh. My mum will, if I hear her go, that means that a same-sex couple has kissed on TV. So if you sat down with your mom to see Eternals on Disney+, Plus, what would her reaction when the kissing scene comes up? She wouldn't watch it because it's a superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, she would make horrible noises and go, that's disgusting. More than likely. Yes. So do you have a boyfriend? No, I don't have a boyfriend. And if I ever got a boyfriend, I couldn't introduce him. Oh. But she would, yeah, she would. But she watches Drag Race. Dude, you are fascinating. We should make a show about you. <laughs> That's why I have a podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but a podcast is different. Your your story is interesting. Wow. It's it's pretty fucked up, yeah. But, but I mean, look at you. You're not fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I do actually have a few, like, proper questions. Okay, yeah. You and, you and I, house, we can talk anytime. Evan, you go. Come on, you itching to speak. Go on. Yeah, like I said, I'm going way back to half an hour ago. <laughs> uh, yeah i watched killing jesus yes um and I, and I write down so you you know you took the role of jesus which which takes a lot of balls knowing that there would be you know possibly 2.2 billion angry christians if you screwed it up yeah the, funnily enough the one takeaway was that it was a shame your co-stars didn't get quite as nice a beard as you got because <laughs> some of those were a little dodgy yeah whereas you yeah. got the nice one you got the effort you get in the close-ups they put a lot of effort into your beard that took a lot of work my friends <laughs> even even my beard was terrible so we were i was like no 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 you had the best beard as far as i could tell because i made sure of that yeah <laughs> that's what i'm trying to get um, at. even the hair even the hair, I was like, no, you're not going to, no. And a lot of decisions had to be made. Like I even like decided, I was just trying to make him as human as possible. I was like, how about we have him, you know, like have his hair in our band, you know, in the back, you know, pulled back when he was younger, right? In the beginning, uh, stuff like that, coming up with decisions. And I also wanted it, the hair to be more like shorter, not like long, like how you usually typically see Jesus have. Just wanted to be a little bit sort of shorter and make him more uh, relatable, more approachable that way. I felt mm -hmm. like always that with that long hair, it just felt so almost like godlike to the point that he is so different from us. But he isn't. He wasn't. He if you caught him, he bled. Mm. If you punched him, he felt pain. So that's it. That's all I gotta say about that. My only follow-up is to be a little bit touchy is, is were you aware of who bill o'reilly was before taking the role 
Yes, and I had uh, a very tough time making a decision whether I would actually take say yes to the part right. because of that. And I got some backlash from that too, by the way. I still do have people criticize and I'm like, and all I say is how about building bridges? But that was prior to me knowing about what he was oh, doing. Oh, yeah, no one knew about the yeah. rest. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we didn't need that also to exactly you're right so basically there was enough to know about him to maybe not want to do business with him let's say and uh, look i mean it was a weird experience for me because of that but i kept thinking to myself like this is an opportunity i'm an arab american actor i'm muslim and an opportunity to portray jesus is really like history in the making. I don't think there's ever been uh, an actor who uh, comes from that region from the world to portray Jesus. And let's not forget, it's not just Bill O'Reilly. You guys are talking Bill O'Reilly. It was Nat Geo. Right. And it was um, Scott Free Productions, Ridley Scott, Nat Geo. So like basically Nat Geo is legit. So when you think of it that way, you can't just say Bill O'Reilly. Well, what about Nat Geo? What about Ridley Ridley Scott? Oh, they're okay to work with Bill O'Reilly, but I'm not okay to work with Bill O'Reilly? Really, there's something about it that feels very unfair that, oh, people will jump right away, criticize me, the underdog, the one who is an Arab from Lebanon, who's Muslim, Shia, gay. I mean, I was not openly gay at the time, but still. And then to be- That was my other question. (laughs) Yeah, but then to be criticized and then they don't criticize- and then they forget that it's a collaborative effort, like a performance. My performance is not yeah. just my performance. It's also the director. Yeah. Is he a good director? Yeah. Did he good, do a good job? The writer. There's also the editors. I mean, mm. all of that when it comes together. And so for me, I can tell you that I regret because we shot the second half of Killing Jesus first. And because I was so nervous and I wanted to do a good job, I'm so proud of that because I killed it. But then because I killed the first, second half, I got arrogant and lazy. And I felt like, oh, I got this. And so it kind of affected. And then the director, not criticizing him, did not pick up on that and made sure that, no, 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 Haas, you know, a good director would notice these things. Not unlike Tom McCarthy in The Visitor. I'll never forget it. The first day we were filming, action, cut. He pulled me like an animal. Pulled me. And he said, no. Like, to me, I, it was traumatizing to me. He was like, no acting, Haas. No. Just see how he, you are, how I am. Talk, just like that. And he just walked away. And I, I was never the same. I was forever changed. And it actually made me a much better actor. So all I'm saying is good directors know what to do and they're not timid or shy about getting what they want to get out of it. I tried to do that in Killing Jesus. Uh, and then, mm. you know, my the first half of my performance suffered, unfortunately. I blame myself. Uh, but I'm very proud of the second half. But in terms of Bill O'Reilly, I don't think of him Mm. Um, I initially, before the news came out about the Me Too movement and him being very just, you know, uh, disgusting, um, uh, for me, it was just about building bridges. Like, I'm like, well, okay, so he is someone I don't agree with and I really don't like, but how about trying to 
build bridges. How about that? Because for me, I mean, not look, I was about to portray Jesus or whatever. Jesus was being offered to me. Well, what was one of Jesus's teachings? Love your enemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I saw clips of Bill O'Reilly sitting there going, look, you know, I wrote the book. They're making the film. The two don't really cross over. You know, they're doing their thing. Um, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah. And he interviewed me on his, you know, the new right. show that he had. Yeah. He had on his new show, which was, wasn't it like the number one Fox news show, Bill O'Reilly or something? Or yeah. Oh, something for like many that? years. Yeah. For many. Yeah, yeah. So it was during that time. <laughs> Man, that guy, man, he is something else. Like, well, well <laughs> you know, you know, Haas, you, you, you as a Muslim act. And I'm like, well, Bill, I, Bill O'Reilly, I was not, I said, Bill, Bill, I, I'm, I was raised Muslim. I'm not a practicing Muslim. Yep. He did not like that. <laughs> he did not like that. And I was so happy to see the expression of his face because he got uncomfortable. I was like, yes, I made him. <laughs> so for me, honestly, I say to whoever says, criticizes me, just fucking try to build bridges, man. Like stop like this divisiveness. If you can find common ground, look at what's happening with the divisiveness between the left and the right in this country. It's pathetic and it's- It's deliberate. But it's also embarrassing. Yeah. It oh, shows yeah. how uncivilized and immature these people are. Hmm. And it's getting worse by the day, you know. Yeah, and not unlike the people that criticize me for actually wanting to do something like that that Bill O'Reilly was a part of, when indeed there's nothing better than trying to build bridges and actually find common ground with the other, with someone that you don't agree with. There's something really wise and loving about that. That was my intention uh, when I did it. Oh, you did a hell of a job as Jesus. You know, well, you know, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. But Bill O'Reilly kept saying that. <laughs> so I was like, he kept saying, if Haas doesn't get an Emmy nomination, I'm like, if he keeps saying that, I'm not going to get an Emmy nomination. And I didn't get an Emmy nomination. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, it was, it was, the, it was the most watched thing on um, uh, Nat Geo as far as like uh, anything they put out. Because, uh, you know, they do produce nearly all of his books into films. Yeah. Yeah. It broke like all, like it, it, surpassed all of the other ones that they made based on the kill, killing um oh, it's killing reagan it's killing lincoln it's killing kennedy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. killing england yeah all sorts yeah a lot of killings <laughs> yeah it's i don't know it's weird but when you put it in the context yes. of killing jesus that it, it takes a whole new meaning it's kind of yeah. weird yeah. even though yeah. all of his books start with killing right right and i do have one other serious question hopefully with the prevalence of superhero films since the 90s, do you, do you think there is an unreasonable or even unrealistic pressure placed onto male actors to be as fit and to get as big as possible to play those roles? Before you answer, Haas, I'm just going to preface that by saying, and does that also apply to the gay scene where we're all <laughs> about the fucking shirtless fucking photos every five Gotta minutes? Gotta have abs. Anyways, yeah. I just wanted to add that in there. <laughs> yeah. You mean, you mean in the Marvel films? Yeah, in, in terms of going for, you know, going for roles like your, your Captain America's and that kind of thing, is there sort of undue pressure placed on the actors to, to get as big and as fit as possible. And they're getting to, you know, athlete level, given the grueling schedule it takes to get that fit. That's really not the case for everything. No, I would disagree. Uh, I think it depends on the role, the part, the movie, because look, well, Tobey Maguire was the first Spider-Man. 
was he big and muscular and so no. And and all the Spider-Mans are also, right? They're skinny and work, but that's part of the story, right? Uh, meaning he's meant to be a nerd or just like a guy next door. Say that all the other men across the globe who are just regular guys can see maybe themselves in him and be inspired or empowered by that. The Eternals, fastest, my husband, Brian Tyree Henry, he's, you know, not in, right? Yeah, yeah, regular guy, yeah. Right, well, not just regular guy, he's not fit. I'm not throwing shade, he's just not fit in the terms of what you would think, like fit, like Captain America, whatever. And yet he was cast um, as that. Uh, so I, I think I w- my answer to you is a yes and a no. I think there's both, yes. I think you're right in that sense, there is that. But also on the other side, there's also, really it depends on the project and the role and the story and the character. Uh, and based on that, I would think that changes then things. However, here's how I'm gonna end it. I think the best thing is this, or maybe your best chance at being in a Marvel film and playing a superhero is being a white male British actor. Mic drop. Or Australian. Thank you very much. Again, you forget Australia. We <laughs> exist in this world, people. You exist, honey, but I'm sorry, honey. No, male, oh. white male British actors are the, they are at the top of the freaking, whatever you want to call it, more than America's Mourner. Sorry, Hugh Jackman. And then like, look at the Eternals. They had Richard Madden. And then how did they end it? Spoiler alert. Oh, with um, Kit Harrington, yes, with the Black Knight, yes. No. No, that's the after credits, dude. Um, Harry Styles? Well, that's how they, it ended. That's That was the question, how did it end? And that was the very end. Thank you very much. What I, was the surprise? Who showed up with this Harry Styles. Oh, Harry Styles. Yes, yeah, Harry another, Styles. Another yeah. white Brit. <laughs> yeah, good point. Male. Yeah. And I love Harry Styles, by the way. I love him. I think I, he's amazing. But yeah. come on, guys, give me a yeah. fucking break. <laughs> I just want to say that Gilgamesh in The Eternals was probably the best looking male that's been across the board because he was that big, thick, hunky bear of a man that I looked at and I'm like, <laughs> I want him to save me. Yeah, Aaron does love a bear. I don't want a skinny, you know, little runt to yeah. save me. I, I don't need Spider-Man. I want a Gilgamesh. <laughs> Thank you very much. What anyway. was his ethnicity? He's Asian, I know, but like, Korean, we're... South uh, Korean. 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 Yes. Okay, because yes. there was a like Korean, and then uh, uh, Gemma was Chinese. Chinese, yes, Chinese. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There were a couple. Yeah, he's Asian. She's Asian. There was South Indian, South Asian. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a good cast. It was a good mix of people. But again, it's a big world, my friend. You know, like how many are they gonna? Look, I think it's wonderful that they did Eternals and they were thoughtful about it and that they actually wanted to show humanity through a queer femme. You know what I mean? Like, come on, that's amazing. Yeah. And and to even include the, it would have been adopted son or surrogate, they didn't really say. Does it matter? But mm. it, yeah, it, it didn't, no, it didn't matter. It was just like, oh yeah, they've, they've got a son. It doesn't matter really. But even in real life, I think it doesn't matter with queer families. Queer families are like gay, queer people, when they get married, there's so much love they have for each other. And they, they, there's so much love they, they want to give. So 
if they have the kids biologically or adopt them or surrogate or what not, it doesn't like the love is so intense and strong more than a heterosexual family. And I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at heterosexual families, but I'm just saying that's just been that, that like logical thing. Why? Because queer kids, when they're growing up, they're not nurtured normally like other kids. And so it's this sort of like compensation. Yes. Yes. Immense compensation for the lack of being nurtured and loved the way that they should have been. And then they want to make up for it somehow. And I see it. I see it through all my queer family friends. Like I have many queer families as friends and they're the most beautiful families to me. Like I just love how much they have love for each other, the parents for each other and for their kids and the kids to their parents. And for me, like, this is why I said yes to the Eternals because initially I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be an Eternal. I auditioned initially to be an Eternal, oh. but they were not ready for an Arab Eternal. So then they came back to me offering, so I didn't audition for this part, I auditioned for Eternal. Came back yeah. to me offering me Ben's part and I was like, oh, I see now, okay. But then when I saw that they're showing humanity through a queer family, I realized, okay, Disney, Marvel, they're smart to cast me because they know I'm going to humanize the hell out of it. And I'm grateful because I was able to, you know, it really stood out in the film, I think. A lot of people. I felt like, it did. And, and I don't know what brand lenses they use in their cameras, but they made you look good. Are you saying that he looks shitty now on his home <laughs> laptop or phone camera? No, you look at the quality, the quality from Killing Jesus to oh, just, yeah. just they have this stylized look, you know, that Marvel stylized look and to, you know, to get they, your headshots in there. They use the best of the best, best technologies, best of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Best people. I mean, but let me tell you something, though. It's amazing to be on a Marvel set. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big kid. I have a big inner child. Uh, and my, f well, that's not Marvel. Oops, I was going to say Superman. Never mind. No, but there was <laughs> that joke in there. I loved that little yeah. shade thrown across to DC. I thought that was funny. <laughs> After all this time, now they finally do it. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've seen Breaking Fast, but in Breaking Fast, we talk about Christopher Reeve's Superman, which is my favorite Superman. Uh, but uh, being on the Marvel set, like you're, you, you feel like a kid, but then we're shooting that day, the scene where Richard Madden's character breaks our dinner table, yep. right, at home. My God. I mean, if you guys think that's fun, it is so the opposite. Yeah, because you've got to <laughs> set up and wait. It is long, grueling, boring, yeah. long, grueling, boring day. Yeah, you haven't sat through Evan try to get out a sentence. Because <laughs> you keep it. <laughs> You interrupt me. I'll be listening back to previous podcasts. You interrupt me every <laughs> sentence. <laughs> oh, and to killing Jesus. Like killing Jesus. You're talking about killing Jesus. Do you remember the eyes? Yeah. Looked great. That took hours, man. Like, and the, like the, the, all the, the, the flames from the, the scourge whips and what, yeah, the whips. Yeah. Hours. Like, one time I was sitting in the trailer for like six uh, hours. Oh, oh, in makeup. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, Filmmaking is really, it looks cool and whatnot, but it's its work. Little America, you saw it, right? You said yep. you saw it? Yes. The last day that we filmed, 
it was 5 a.m. in the morning. I was filming the scene where I was running away from my father. After he burned my forearm on the uh, on the stovetop, and I collapsed. After this set cut at 5 a.m. 5:30, I was started throwing up, <clears throat> literally throwing up nonstop, because it's not to 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 have to reenact something so traumatizing and awful like that. Mm. You have to go there. It's not like I'm not acting. I'm actually living it in the moment. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of people have the wrong idea about this kind of, you know, art art form because it looks cool and then the award season comes and the trailers are cool. But when it really comes down to it, it really is not easy. And you have to be very confident and very have a strong sense of self and um, you have to be good. You have to be good at it. Yeah. I, I was actually going to ask about little America because after doing research, you know, how similar to your own story is, is, was that, and you know, how hard is it, is it doing that? Uh, it was not very similar. It was not as similar as you might think, actually. It wasn't, okay. you know, he's Syrian and he's from a village. I am Lebanese, but, I, I was born in the UAE, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and then I moved to Lebanon when I was 10, but my parents are from a small village in the Bekaa Valley. Maybe that's what we have in common, but I didn't grow up there. And I grew up in cities most of my life. And in Lebanon, it was different. I never, never um, was, uh, like no one was violent against me. I guess maybe no one dared because they, I would fuck them up. But um <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I mean, I was bullied. I was bullied, but but that's about it. I was bullied, but I also understood. I understood that I need to get the fuck out of Lebanon. And, and that's exactly what I did. But nothing like what the character who's in America now. Mm, and yeah. 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 And he's uh, living his life happy. And he came to the premiere of Little America because they, at the premiere, when they uh, screened the uh, um, two episodes, my episode, The Sun and The Cowboy one. Um, and he saw it and he came up to me. He's like, how did you know that that's exactly how I felt in every moment in this, in my life, in this journey? It's exactly how it was. And so that meant the world to me uh, for him to say that. Um, it was really probably one of my absolute favorite roles to play because I was portraying a real person who's still alive. Um, but for me, uh, the similarities are just that we are Arab, Muslim, and queer. That's it. Oh, because okay. he spent two years, aside from going to Damask, Damascus, right? And then his family, his father, brother, whatever, they, they go search for him and they go in and vandalize the restaurant he's working at and beat up his friend. Uh, and then his friend tells him you need to leave the country. And then he goes to Jordan for two years. I've never experienced that. Two right. years in Jordan, he didn't know anyone. I mean, I can cry right now just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and he almost, he tried to kill himself a couple of times while he was there. So it was a very important story for me to make sure I show the truth of it all. And I did. Uh, and I, I performed... Um, I portrayed this role after my, die, my dad died. So I arrived, I, my dad was in the ICU and uh, I was visiting him in Lebanon. 
And, you know, we knew it was at the point where he might die. And then, um, but I had to leave because I had a contract and they would sue me if I didn't fly to Montreal to film. I was on the plane. I said to God, I forgive my dad for whatever he did. Please, God, I don't want him to suffer anymore. I landed in Montreal, got the news that he died. And I was like, started, I didn't have a good relationship with him, but I like, I just started crying and I was going through the fucking checkpoint, right? And, and I'm crying and I'm like, oh my God, customs. I'm like, oh God, just keep yourself together. They might think you have a fucking, you're a suicide bomber or something. Cause I was like, don't cry. And then I was like, and then I had to tell them my dad just passed away. And uh, I had to film Little America just after my dad passed away. And so mm. I dedicated it to my dad. It was not easy to do actually. Yeah. Um, but it's also became even more personal because of that. Yeah, my main takeaway from watching Little America was as soon as the credits started, I was like, how many don't make it out? That's a one in a million story of Mm -hmm. actually making and his friend making out and meeting up in America like that just doesn't happen. These guys, you know, the amount that don't make it out would be staggering. Absolutely. Beautifully said. I mean, I'm glad you said that, actually, because it's true. And, And it's always, if not most of the time, overlooked what you're just talking about. Yeah, I, I literally had to look it up. Like, can you actually claim asylum for sexual orientation? Oh, of course you can. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. I was unaware you could even do that. Yeah, if, if you're being persecuted for it or if you're in danger. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I had somebody that was one of the other ones. I had a few, many of them that wanted to kill themselves. And I was like, no, 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 no. Seek asylum. Blah, blah, blah. Do this, do that. Go, blah, blah, blah. Fight for yourself. Don't be fucking weak. Don't be a victim. Because this is the thing, like, it's like you either be a victim and give up your power or you choose to not give up your power and do something. About it. And this is uh, this is what my the character that I portrayed who's here now in America did. He decided not to be the victim and just fucking to charge and decided I'm going to leave, you know, like I did in Lebanon. I was like, I think I was like 14 and I said to my family, I'm like, I want to go to America to be a singer. I was a big Madonna fan. I am still a big Madonna fan. <laughs> but I wanted to follow in her footsteps. Don't <laughs> you can laugh again. I wanted to literally follow in her footsteps. Go to Michigan, where she's from, and then go to New York, to the middle of everywhere, which is Times Square, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is what she said to the cab driver, by the way. <laughs> and then do that. And they said, oh, yeah? No, you're not going to. So you can go pursue your freakish desires. I was like, oh, yeah. So that's when I put on my first acting. Uh, like, that was my first acting. I literally got a girl, bought a motorcycle, befriended all these street boys, bad boys, and showed them. <laughs> like, basically, they were like, oh, that was just a stage or a phase. You can now go to America. I was like, bye, motherfuckers. <laughs> this is <exactly. laughs> yeah. Now, just um, back to the quarantine question, if you could quarantine with a Marvel villain, complete 180 from what we were just talking about, but we'll, we'll round up because it's been over two hours already. Yes. Oh, damn. But who wants to fucking quarantine with, with a villain? I mean, what if he hurts me? I know. <laughs> um, I, was, I was rattling my brain going, hang on, they're all dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Other than maybe you could get an intelligent conversation out of Thanos. Other than that. <laughs> well, the question wasn't meant to be easy. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Um, you know, um, right now, all that's standing out for me is the black Spider-Man, the black version of Spider-Man. Oh, Venom. 
Venom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, not Venom. No, the Spider-Man when he turns. Toby Maguire did. That. I haven't seen the new one. We haven't seen the new one. Oh, we haven't seen the. I haven't one. seen the new one. No, 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 no. No, no. Toby Maguire's version when he has the black version. That was Venom. That's yeah. Venom. Oh. Oh, that yeah. was Venom. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, Venom. Oh, but what about the other Venom movie? That's a reboot. Sony have gone and done their own thing with the property. Yeah. Which is such a mistake. <gasps> they have to make a film every five years to, in order to keep the rights. Well, I want. I, I, I would say Venom, Toby Maguire's Venom. Yeah. Who's going to win this season of Drag Race? Ooh. Look at him perk up. Jeez. Yeah, it's a good show. <laughs> Gosh, there's there's so many of them. I'm trying to remember, like, because they had, like, two premieres, right? Yes. And now they're combined all together. Yes. Um, I, look, I mean, cornbread. Oh, and then the other one from the South. She's cute. The black one with the skinny black one with the nose. and the, She's really, like, her aesthetic is impeccable and her makeup is amazing. Angeria. Yes. Look at you. You Okay, good. So uh, Cornbread, Angeria, but you're asking who's going to win. It's hard to tell you who's going to win, but so far I'm liking, who do you like? So far I don't know any of them yet. But, but <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, probably, I don't know. I, I really did enjoy Willow Pill. Yes. And she's the one that looks like a child. Yes. Okay. You know what? She's my favorite. And she... She also won the last, the main challenge. That's right. She did too. The the ball. Yes. The the pair of balls. Yes. And I thought she blew me away. That's when she won me over. That's when I'm like, okay, I'm, I want her to, because I was blown away with her fashion aesthetic. I didn't realize she actually had a good sense of fashion and she really does. That was really impressive. And I also like that she's so different and, um, you know, even the way she looks or he looks like the, he has a thing with his hands. He has like a medical condition, you know, which was really moving that moment. Right. When she was like trying to make a and then somebody cornbread didn't cornbread. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he said, it's like, Evan, I'm sorry. Evan was like, what is going on? Here? Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. God, I get on the drag race train for goodness sakes. You don't have to, Evan. You don't have to. Don't uh, I don't to have time. I don't. No. <laughs> Lastly, who would be in your VH1 Divas Live lineup? How many are we to? Uh, about five. Who did they have the biggest out of all of those that did it? First one was Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion. Oh, Gloria Estefan, oh. Mariah Carey, oh. and Shania Twain. That was the very first one. Holy shit. Okay, they got the Giants. Yeah, those are impressive. Second, Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, Cher, and Brandy. So, anyways. Wow. Oh, may she rest in peace, Whitney Houston. Tina Turner, I saw her live in concert. She was unbelievable. One of the best things I've ever seen in my life. But, all right, Madonna, her. Do you guys have heard of her? yeah. She's an R&B black artist. She's gorgeous. Yeah. She's my, She's absolutely. What if never, never will change? Oh, I'm caught between love and a hard place. So Madonna, her, Kylie Minogue. Kylie, yeah, awesome. That's a Melbourne girl. Oh, cool. I love music so much. There's so many. Okay. I said Kylie Minogue, Madonna, uh, her. Oh, if she were still alive, I would pick Aaliyah. Yeah. Let me, I'm just like cheating a little bit because uh, Adele. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, Amy Winehouse is dead. Sorry. Uh, she come back for a concert. Hologram her. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I miss you. Rest in peace. <laughs> 
Yes, stop with the holograms, people. They're creepy. Oh, really? I've not seen them. Oh, where they project people on onto sheets of glass and, yes. and have them singing new songs. Yeah, don't don't do that. Yes, I don't need to see Elvis in concert. I will say LP. Have you guys heard of her? No. LP. She her one of her most known songs is "Lost on You." Is that L as in E double L E or L as in the letter L? Two letters, LP. Uh, LP, yeah, two letters. She's an American mm-hmm. singer songwriter and she has written songs for Cher, Rihanna, Backstreet Boys, Leona Lewis, Celine Dion, Christina Aguilera. So, yeah, LP, you guys got to check mm-hmm. her out and got to check out her song Lost on You. She is something special. Never heard of her. Sorry. It's okay. Well, now we're even. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to explain it, like what genre it would be. And I like that. I like when you can't like, you know, pinpoint, like what genre is this? Well, I can pinpoint this singer's genre because she wrote songs for Heidi Montag and that genre would be shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but you're talking about LP? I'm talking about Heidi Montag from, what was she in? The Hills. Oh, LP wrote songs for her album? Yeah. Uh, maybe because she had a lot of money. Let's just say that, yeah. Because she also wrote songs for Rihanna. Yes, good singers. People who actually have a career, yeah. Yes, but why, why would I point that out? I don't know. When I can you, point out the Heidi Montag. You, you, you're just trying to put me down for some reason no no i'm putting heidi on tag down that's who that's who i'm putting down anyways now you've been an amazing guest i'm pretty certain i didn't get through all my questions but that's fine pleasure talking to you guys and before you go where would people find you on the social medias on instagram it's haas.slayman s-l-e-i-m-a-n and on twitter it's haas.slayman yeah and they're both verified so. Awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to get verified, but they won't let me. We can get the like, greatest Broadway legends on this show, but no, we're not legitimate, are we? It's it's really uh it's really tricky. Mm. I mean, I the reason why I was able to do it is my management company Mosaic. Like they, I'm like guys, get me verified, and they get me verified. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do it. I, I there's no way. But because they have big clients. And if it's a company that has big clients or if it's a big, then they can do it. So if you can find, I mean, I don't know, a company that can can do it through. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you so much for, for giving us your valuable time. Huge thanks to Haas Slayman for joining us and to Evan, my co-host, for doing such a fantastic job. You can find us on the social medias at Thrash and Treasure or on Instagram at Thrash and Treasure Podcast. You can support us on Patreon at Blooming Theatricals. That's one word. But also you can pick up a copy of the Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com and that'd be super duper awesome and help keep us on air. Anyways, we're going to be back next week with a superstar guest for episode 60. You're not going to believe who we have coming up on our show. But that's it for this week. Until then, you take care. We shall see you next time. Thank you for having me. It's been a a pleasure and an honour to... (laughs) 